When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Movie Club Monday. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday or Wednesday, just adapt that greeting to your day. For the holidays, we're bringing you something light, frothy, and family-friendly. Macy Rodman and myself, that is. And what film is it? Well, you know, because you hit the thing, but just in case you're letting it autoplay, Videodrome, the David Cronenberg classic from 1983 that has inspired me endlessly. Of course, my other handle is Videodrome Disco, my night, Videodrome Discotech. Uh, There's so much more to get into, and we get into all of it on the upcoming show. But before we get to the show... A reminder to go to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Sign up now because some exciting things are coming that I can't quite tell you about because I wouldn't want to ruin the surprise. But even now, you get benefits such as advanced, uncut, and commercial-free versions of these very episodes, participation in various things, some uh, nefarious activities, which I can't really spell out in public because the stuff behind Patreon, it's private. It's between you and me. Make sure to hit subscribe, make sure to leave a review, not just for me, but for every show you enjoy, because it helps, and what helps us helps you. And of course, the five-star review is the most sophisticated, and you, dear listener, are a true sophisticate. And now it's time to turn on channel 83 to get lost in the unscrambled pirated signal from Malaysia or Pittsburgh, and enjoy all things and everything Videodrome. As lovely as it would be to tape with you in person, I think in the uh, tradition of Brian Oblivion, to, yes. excuse me, Professor Dr. Brian Oblivion, <laughs> that we're doing this over, not the cathode ray tube, but the uh, follow-on from the video drum signal. We're not actually speaking back and forth. It's, um, it's two monologues. We only, we only uh, engage in discourse via monologue, so it just happens that they're lining up. <laughs> it's really good. See, what we figured out is, uh, individually, too, which is great because we had no idea this yeah. recording would be happening, is uh, yeah. you map out, and kind of the way that AI does now, but you just map out things that would sort of go together kind of okay and sound <laughs> slightly knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. This could apply to anything. So you could switch this out to any James Woods film and we could like it's the onion field. You know? Yeah, Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the seminal James Woods role. <laughs> that's really that's really his uh total work, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> he is such an interesting character because it's such a shame about him as a person. I know. And he's fucking hot in this movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He's really hot. And before the stomach opens up... Now, by the way, if there's, if you're worried about spoilers and you're listening to this, I don't know what to tell you. Go watch the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, pause now. Or You know what I found out? And this is strange to me, anathema to me, because I hate spoilers. I find sometimes people like to hear all about the stuff and then they'll go watch it. So uh, that, that works for me. I don't really care about spoilers that much. I will listen to a whole thing describing, like, uh, dissecting the plot and all the meanings, and then I'll go see it. Which is not, not the same experience, but I don't mind it. 
You know, and I've learned to uh, love it or at least adapt to it with the Video Archives podcast because they were talking about uh, an Elliot Gould, Robert Blake movie called Busting that I'd never seen. Oh. But the, when they described it, it was great. And they talked about all these great camera moves. And I found it wasn't spoiled. I think I would have been more excited had I just sort of happened upon it. But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of different ways to enjoy things. So uh, listen to us ruin <laughs> everything. Yes. <laughs> we will spoil everything. Or actually, we know what we're doing. We're guiding you. Yes. To a, to a new flesh. Yeah. <laughs> Curious thing about James Wood. So those listening who are only familiar with him from his rottenness on Twitter and in any, every other interview uh, <laughs> platform available... In the 80s, which is when I was first made aware of him, as I'm 46, about to be 47. The, so, uh, uh, yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, on Valentine's Day. So everyone send your cards, etc. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Just write Craig McNeil, currently London, maybe LA, and it'll get to me. Um, <laughs> like Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. But very much like that. Very much like yeah. that. I don't like to boast, but that is basically what's going on. Um <laughs> The, uh, yeah, James, I was made aware of James Woods from movies like this and Against All Odds, which I happened to rewatch recently. And I was just like, mm. this guy's fucking great. He's terrifying. And he played like cokeheads in a couple movies. Very convincing. Alleges that he has never done drugs. Who knows? He's a psychopath. Oh, hogwash. Hogwash. <laughs> that is a cokehead. <laughs> that kind of intensity don't come that easily. <laughs> and, you know, and Debbie Harry at the time, of course, for those who don't know, the co-star of the film was a full-fledged junkie. Oh, that tracks. That tracks. Yeah, yeah. No pun intended. Oh, I think she only snorted. <laughs> uh, I think she only snorted, from what I've read. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Blondie d dissolved in a pool of heroin and pemphigus, and pemphigus is a skin condition. It's like sores all over your body. Uh, oh and inside the skin, this is a nice way to say it, it's it's a very Cronenberg kind of disease, actually. Yeah. And it's stress related. Chris Stein, her partner, of course, uh, both romantically and musically at the time, was suffering from it. I think in her book, she talks about sneaking heroin into the hospital. The doctors turned a blind eye to it because as it's a stress related disease, yeah. he couldn't like kick junk because the thing you know, it was all over his body. So a horrible chapter in Chris Stein's life. Oh my God, that sounds rotten. I know, right? And I don't know oh if it's around God. the same time. That's when she took a couple of years off just to take care of Chris. So it's a beautiful story. Wow. But sadly, yeah. Yeah. Her book's really good. I have, to, I have to read the rest of it. I like to recommend something and say, I've only read an excerpt. <laughs> yeah, I've only <laughs> cracked the first page. Yeah, I do, I do want to read her book too. She's really cool. Do you have a favorite Blondie tune or era or look? Because some of the looks are great obviously um yeah some of the looks are really great i her like weird solo look is cool like maria and all of that with the longer hair that's kind of half brown half blonde yeah that's sick and then obviously like rapture um i like their weird like kind of 50s inflected shit like um you know, huh? Like, <laughs> yeah, that stuff is really cool. I don't know. They're they're really cool. I I was in a Blondie video. Uh, the one she. It was honestly like a little video drum. To be honest, it was like I was like a TV. I was like a. Uh, what what's it called? HSN like salesperson. Mm -hmm. Um, like selling grenades and gas masks. I think. 
Oh, I didn't record the video till now, so sorry. That's oh, no the other worries. Technique. But we got the audio, so I'll, oh, I'll put up placards at the beginning. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, and then my friend was like a TV fortune teller, and there were some other people doing like fitness ads and stuff. So, and it was like peak um, pussy hat era. So it was a lot of like <laughs> Trump and Hillary imagery, and and you know. <laughs> but she was cool. When was your first uh, exposure to this film? Um, so when I was in high school, I was really obsessed with um, movies in general, but I got really fixated on like buying editions uh, in the Criterion collection. Mm. And every time I would go out of town, I would go to like a Tower Records was still open. Um, yeah. When I went to LA, somehow I, I'm pretty sure it was Tower. It was, yeah, it was Tower Records, um, and they had a whole Criterion section. And I had seen, I must have seen The Fly and maybe some other Cronenberg stuff, um, but I wasn't like obsessed. I was just like, oh, I've heard of him. I saw the cover and saw that Debbie Harry was on it. And it was the the cover of the Criterion is just the still of him going into the TV with her lips mm-hmm. and, um, and like some, uh, uh, CMYK bars on top. Oh, it was yeah. just, it, it looked really cool. And so I got it and I watched it and I was just like fully, it was the best thing, greatest thing I'd ever seen. Um, from there, I really connected to his like recent work. I think A History of Violence and Eastern Promises came out mm-hmm. around that time or a little bit later, and those were really great. Um, and then obviously, like Existence and Scanners and Dead Ringers and all of that uh, followed. But over the years, I think it, it's. Uh, I have a video drum tattoo. I have "Long Live the New Flesh" on my arm. I've, I'm obsessed with this movie because it feels uh, like a Cronenberg manifesto in a way. Um, it's like the '80s and like '80s technology, and obviously body horror, but mm-hmm. like these big kind of big brain concepts that are um, rendered in. In the, in the um in the booklet of the Criterion Collection, there's a essay about Cronenberg. I forget who wrote it, but um, they in the essay they mention that he works like a novelist. He makes films like a novelist, and that has always rang really true to me. And especially in this one, it's like it really reads like kind of a pulpy novel, but with these like really cool like big brain concepts. That reminds me, there is an interview somewhere where they talked about the novelization. Of Videodrome. They did like a film to film to novel thing. Yeah. The guy talking, uh, well, the guy talking, the guy who wrote it, uh, also known as the author, I guess, of uh, (laughs) the uh, novelization was discussing how this one happened to be, not really because of the special effects stuff, which could be described in all kinds of flowery language, but because of the fact that James Woods is basically in every scene and, and the most, most of the film is seen through his perspective. And he's not talking a lot when he's seeing a lot of these things. Oh yeah, that's true. That is true. So you have to do internal monologue. Yeah, exactly. So I'd love to check out the novelization, but I checked it out on eBay and it was like 
too pricey for oh that'd be interesting that kind of thing yeah for like a kind of like <laughs> maybe i'll read a few pages yeah yeah so i i know a couple of folks who collect those and i like the idea of that but i don't think i'd ever get around to reading most of them i think a couple i'd be down with um I can't imagine they're that great. No offense to that guy, but <laughs> you know, it's like a weird it's a weird product. Even in terms of dialogue, it's great dialogue, but it's not like it's like wall to wall. Yeah, yeah. And even the explanations of things can be like confusing and the more you watch it and over the years, like I first saw it on VHS, uh I kind of wish I saw it on Betamax given, you know, that's the cassette <laughs> that they use. And of course, they, they yeah. use the Betamax because it's smaller, but it's also higher oh. uh, resolution. It's a higher quality product. Okay, I bought it. I bought a new old stock Betamax about five six years ago to like transfer stuff. But I've only used it a couple times. Uh, yeah, I have that. I have a CED machine, which is video disc, a laser disc machine, and oh. um, a whole bunch of video stuff that's in LA. Oh, cool! Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun, and because I love finding nutty things. On tape, and also if there's a really hard to find movie on VHS, you can probably find it on Betamax for a lot cheaper because the collecting market is different no one for each that, format. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's yeah. how I got Anthony Michael Hall's Out of Bounds. You ever see that rotten, rotten piece of shit? No, no. <laughs> it, it, it's it's terrible. It's directed by Richard Tuggle, the guy who did one of Clint Eastwood's really great early '80s movies called Tightrope, which is super weird. There's oh, an SNL thread. Yeah, it's great. It's set in New Orleans. There's kink really creepy um yeah. but this one is a terrible fish out of water story it's what he chose to do instead of F ferris bueller's day off it's garbage Whoa. he he was drinking like a gallon uh, uh not a gallon half a gallon of vodka a day but there's a goth club scene with Susie and the banshees oh my god yeah i think it might be available on prime now so no one don't spend money on it just like a couple <laughs> bucks but don't it's not n nothing more yeah. than five dollars yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I need to see the recent crimes of the future because I feel like it's very in line with this. Yeah. I couldn't, and also I really I couldn't agree with you more about how this is almost like the quintessential Cronenberg movie. If you wanted to introduce someone yeah. to his work, it covers all the bases. And one time I was uh, working with someone who had watched the film on my recommendation and it, uh, the next day i was excitedly like what'd you think and all this and they all they could talk about was how goofy the old tech looked and i was like you really didn't understand this movie at all <laughs> oh my god uh, that's i mean aside from it being like uh really charming i guess um it like it really creates that whole world it wouldn't work if you were doing it with like phones or whatever, <laughs> or like you know SD <laughs> right. hard drives, whatever. It's like you you really need that visualization of a thousand tapes of Brian Oblivion and um, him like swimming in VHSs when he's trying to find programming and yeah, it it it's necessary to the to the mise-en-scene <laughs> you know that's good uh there should be an award every time at what point in the show does that get said that's always my favorite uh i should use it more though and you've inspired me once again uh, i that i agree with in uh 110 because yeah. um 
I think at the time, because it was all cutting edge technology, it works. And then over the years, because it's of a time, it works as a period piece because the ideas are still very relevant. And there's actually, you want to hear a clip of David Cronenberg talking about the prophetic nature of the uh, work. Yeah. In a strange way, uh, Videodrome did anticipate quite a few things. A lot of people have thought of this film as being very prophetic. I myself have never been interested in being a prophet of any kind. And I've never really even been interested in inventing science fiction that would anticipate technological development so that I could say, as, let's say, Arthur C. Clarke would say, that uh, I anticipated, he said, satellites 40 years before there were satellites and satellite communications. That, that, That doesn't really interest me. But when your antennae are out there waving in the breeze and you allow them to develop because you think of yourself as an artist, you will undoubtedly pick up some signals from somewhere in the Videodrome way that other people don't pick up. And I think it's inevitable, perhaps, that you anticipate things that other people have not. And I think you can see in the cathode ray mission an adumbration of those programs that are designed to bring the Internet to every impoverished country in order to connect its citizens with the world, to plug them back in, as Bianca Oblivion says, plug them back into the world's mixing board. I also like that he says an adumbration. You don't typically hear that in interviews. I've never heard that word before. <laughs> I don't think I have either, except when I heard that clip earlier today. I'm always just constantly reminded, like, gee, he's smart. <laughs> <laughs> he really, he really, really is. I rewatched most of it today. I, I didn't get a chance to, like, I kind of did the beginning half and then skipped a little to the end but you know it well enough i mean you have long lived yeah. the new flesh tattoo so but uh, the thing that was that struck me in watching it again was how interesting it is that it's not an indictment of technology really it's not like condemning technology like i think a lot of movies that deal with this kind of subject matter do if we're dealing with like um government conspiracy and stuff in film is to the like the the messaging becomes like unabomber messaging you know like yeah. <laughs> the industrial revolution is bad and like we should all live in the woods but like this is not <laughs> that at all it's like a much more nuanced look at this it's like this no this is like what's going to happen so how are you going to like what are you going to do with it you know and and that is very in line with the marshall McLuhan tenets that are very um shot through the the film or it's clearly influenced by his uh teachings and there's a clip of McLuhan talking about something similar and when we do see the nefarious folks currently in possession of it we mm-hmm. get what they're about and so that speaks to the extremism that unfortunately we're still seeing and maybe seeing it to a greater degree right now than possibly was around in the 80s but it, yeah. it's sort of a classic thing of the evil is always there and there's always a tool that can be used for good or for bad which one could say the internet or television or anything because yeah. one thing you hear a lot, a lot about i remember one of my aunts being like Oh, the, all the you hear on the news about these you know horrible uh, kidnappings of children and stuff that that didn't used to happen in our day. And I was like, no, no, it we're just weren't aware of it. We, we didn't hear <laughs> yeah. about it. 
that that's all it was definitely happening like <laughs> yeah completely that also speaks to the uh, ever recurring discussion of does violence depicted on screen uh, engender real life copycat activity yeah. and i don't have yeah. i don't have the clip here but cronenberg said somewhere that he wanted to use this movie as a way to sort of play with that because he was accused of that after scanners and the brute although it's odd because what you're going to make someone's head explode that doesn't really track <laughs> <laughs> yeah scanners is an odd one too because yeah it's all about my like doing shit with your mind uh, yeah and the brood it's like what are you gonna do like grow a bunch of <laughs> tiny people like <laughs> i love the brood so much i got so incensed when i went to a screening Wild. once and people were laughing at it because you know the the, the special effects aren't like cutting edge but it's like yeah this also this movie the uh, the brood in particular was made for like a very low budget in canada yeah and they would use tax shelters so sometimes the scripts would be not totally finished as was the case with videodrome because to get the tax shelters uh from all the dentists and all the other people who wanted to get a tax break they had to shoot in the winter so in the last quarter of the year so um cronenberg and ivan reitman started kind of the first film group together i can't remember the name of it but there really wasn't much of a canadian film industry before ivan reitman cronenberg and i think there was like one or two other people that got mm. together to sort this out and then this film was half financed by that and the canadian government and which is fantastic uh yeah and, that rules. right how good is that and cronenberg has been uh, uh in many times said you know every country should have some kind of um what do you call it not sponsorship but some kind of fund for the arts because otherwise it's just the corporate interests controlling yes. the whole thing and there was an opportunity for this when the pandemic began because there was i remember a lot of posts about uh, artist funds or you know creative people funds because a lot of the venues just uh, i mean or rather avenues the venues obviously but avenues of uh doing your work were unavailable I mean, this is why we should um, fight to. Um, I always forget what this what the word is, but like subsidize make, subsidies and subsidies and subsidize. Oh, okay, but like yeah, like make like Amazon like a public utility or something, you know? Oh, like yeah. so, it's like yeah, so it's like not privately owned or something, so that like that money can be used for other shit and not just Jeff Bezos's life. <laughs> Well, at least the corporations should be uh, forced to pay the taxes that would uh, allow for um, the kind of fund that was around when, I don't know, I say I can't remember which president. I can tell you uh, who the uh, uh, costume designer was on this movie, or no, the set designer, Carol Spears, but I can't tell you which president it was. Maybe FDR? I don't know. Right in, uh, history fans. <laughs> but when in the 30s or 40s, uh, it was part of the New Deal, I think. So whoever did that, Roosevelt, let's go with that. Sure. Like Orson Welles was paid by the government, essentially, him and lots of other people, to create works of art, plays, um, because the... Uh, and I think Rockefeller had a lot to do with this. Mm, back that makes the, sense. Back, yeah, back in the era where the billionaires were like, you know what, let's do something good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> won't hurt yeah. us. Won't hurt us, and it'll probably make the people happy. And if the people are happy, they'll be better workers. Yeah, that that's really gone out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you know, it's your fault. You're so sad. So work some more. Work some more for yeah. for less. So you should be grateful. <laughs> yeah. um, the the Canadian film industry really didn't exist. And there's an interesting clip uh, of James Woods. I don't have it here, but he was talking about filming in Toronto back before it was basically Hollywood. And 
interestingly, given Woods' leanings now, uh, uh, politically, he uh, said it's a great uh, travesty that the governments couldn't work out a way to subsidize uh, the films or do a tax break. So he was saying very liberal things. I don't know if he was aware of he was saying liberal things. Maybe he was clouded by the fact that it was his own industry, or maybe it was because it was 20 years ago. Incidentally, he has said something to the effect of being blacklisted from Hollywood because of his views. Okay, if it's a James Woods, I'd go, well, maybe. You know who else said it, though? Yeah. Scott, Scott Bayo. Scott Bayo said that he was blacklisted from the industry for his views? Well, sure. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. <laughs> I think I think there's a number of other reasons that no one's hiring Scott Bayo for film. You know, that could uh, be. I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because why would you want to think about Scott Bayo? I think I think about him way too much. Well, the only time I think about Scott Bayo is Bob blah blah. Right, exactly. And he's yeah. paired up in that with Henry Winkler, and so you're like, oh, he's a fun guy. You know what I mean? When you see yeah. him in something like that, you're like, this is a real clever piece of work. You see, that's a funny thing about that sort of thing. When you hear Scott Bayo or see him on Twitter, and you're like, oh my god. This guy's uh, crazy. But any big Scott Bayo fans out there, um, he is doing a one-man show. I, I would like to see this because I think that that's outrageous. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, he did a show at some uh, places in New Jersey. If it comes to town, I'll, I'll probably go. We should go. Uh, I think we should. <laughs> All right, that's it. And then we'll report on it for everyone. <laughs> I'd like to get like arrange an interview with him to talk about his work in Foxes and just like sort of drift into after i got what i needed just drift into a couple other things yeah speaking of um the films not being fully written at the time of production starting when the film was over when we finished shooting uh about four weeks later maybe less than that david called up he said how do you feel about the ending we shot and i said well i I never felt completely uh fulfilled by it it seems to me and then we'd start talking well if he's in video drone but is it really his perception and should we do this or should we do that so he finally said look we still got the set you want to come up and we'll just reshoot an alternative ending i said sure i'll I'll, so i'd fly up and we'd kind of hash it out a little bit and we'd shoot an ending and we did that we did that i think two or three times and finally came up with an ending that we thought was completely consistent and logical given how tortured the the superficial the subterranean and the really truly kind of permeating deep video drone reality was in this picture so there, there were so many different uh, versions of reality what's your take on that given what we know to be cronenberg's seemingly very studied very uh, in-depth detail-oriented and novelistic approach well so you sent me the um deleted scenes or uh, additional scenes that um kind of flesh out a, a few of the ideas that are not like totally text in the movie yeah um I think that he has a good idea of what's happening in his world, but he's not always showing all of his cards, which I think makes hmm. for a very satisfying film experience it gives you a lot to think about later uh it you are always in the sense that he's in control of what's happening and he knows what's going on behind the scenes but you're not always seeing it and i did have to watch this movie a few times to be like wait what (laughs) yeah you know when i first saw it i was like i love it but what (laughs) that's my favorite kind of movie like i love this thing i'm i gotta see this again yeah, it's like, especially with this, when you're dealing with, like, hallucination, where does it 
start and end and and at what point did it start in this uh, narrative and um, so while the ending I think is like the perfect ending mm. I can totally see him like finding other ways to end it you know the notion or, or the point you made about when do the hallucinations start and then also mm-hmm. when do they actually become flesh so here's a good uh point in the show to explain the premise of the film for those who haven't seen it <laughs> so uh let's see we'll trade off here we'll see how we get uh, with it max wren played by james woods is the owner proprietor if you will of civic tv uh a kind of underground grungy subterranean as they like to say in the film cable yeah. network and it's based on City TV, which wasn't quite as raunchy, but City TV was the first independent cable uh, channel in Canada. And it started, I think, in the, in the 70s sometime. And its partner company was the radio station CHUM, or CHUM, which is modeled, uh, which, yeah, interpreted as CRAM, or CRAM, in the film, which is where Nikki Brand works. Now, Nikki Brand... <laughs> Played, of course, by Debbie Harry. Cram. That's so funny. <laughs> is uh, Nikki Brandt's a radio host. She does, uh, interestingly, an advice show. Interesting, given what you know, we later find out about Nikki. And she's calling everyone lover on the advice show. <laughs> she's, like, got a very sweet cooing, like, okay, lover. Um, I think this is another predictive kind of thing. Obviously, they had advice shows back then. But the kind of yeah. harrowing call that she's glibly dealing with is sort of a precursor to uh, Dr. Phil and other similar types of things. You know, no one ever called Frasier and was like, I'm going to kill myself. I mean, I, I, yeah. know, I haven't seen every episode. Yeah. But, and this is like, this is a great little nugget of side dialogue that is in a Cronenberg movie. I noticed a lot of that. And, and also the mise-en-scene, as you said. Um, how about this? Maybe an award for most times said in an episode. That's a good one. We could do oh, both. Okay. We, could, yeah, we could do both. We'll see where we get on the Dead Ringers episode and see which one wins. And uh, the prize is yet to be determined. Um, a trip <laughs> to right. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> I do love Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, they got good sandwiches, the ones with all the French fries. It feels like the 80s in Pittsburgh still. You can like smoke inside certain places. That's so bizarre. There's a couple pockets of the country like that. I think somewhere in Georgia and then Pittsburgh. Max is the head of Civic TV. He's got two partners and he's on the hunt for the newest, latest, edgiest stuff, which leads him to, yeah, which leads him down the the Primrose path to discovering via his uh, tech whiz video pirate, Harlan. Uh, Then um he is connected with nikki brand on a talk show where we also meet brian oblivion but when he uh he then picks up nikki uh on the tv show basically stops i like in mid-interview on a tv show he goes you know i'd really like to take you to dinner sometime which i think is a good <laughs> that's a move right <laughs> oh i mean that like that's a panty dropper you know she's like <laughs> talking about how how uh awful she thinks he is and out of nowhere he's like you know what? <laughs> Let's go out. <laughs> yeah, I love the host says, well, is Max Ren a menace to society? And Nikki says, I don't know about that, but... He's certainly a menace to me. 
<laughs> and then then we hear Nikki's radio show when um, Max shows up at CRAM. I like how they say CRAM because if they said cram, it would kind of spoil it. But it's a little too obvious, yeah. A little too obvious. Although the naming conventions he has in this film are very jokey. Barry Convex, the head of Spectacular yeah. uh, Convex Lens, and then uh, Nikki Brand, which I, in the commentary he mentions Nick, the little cut she has on her neck, and oh then my Brand. God. With the cigarette. Um, oh, so, my God. Yeah, it's all drag names. Brian Oblivion. Oh like, yeah. Yes, they are. It's wild. They, ooh, Videodrome Drag Night. What is his name in the movie? Max, Max Wren. Wren. And I always what thought does, that was interesting. What? What's that? Ma- I mean, Max is like Maximal Wren. I don't really know. But. Turns out David Cronenberg is obsessed with motorcycles. And there is a European motorcycle called the Wren Max. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> also, Cronenberg <laughs> made a, a like a car race movie in the midst Crash? of the uh, early days called Fast Company that I've never seen. Oh, uh, if if I get a copy, I'll send it to you. Yeah, it's, it seems interesting. I think it's like a Cormanish. No, that's not a Corman style. Cormanish doesn't sound good. It sounds like a sounds like <laughs> it a sounds weird, like a hen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll have the Cormanish hen and. Uh, <laughs> In uh, in brown sauce, thank you. Um, um, yeah, cr- well, Crash too is like oh my god, his um, car movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. Hey, you like car movies? Oh, okay. Have you seen Crash? You should rent Crash. <laughs> it's impossible to rent, by the way. I think it's on Shutter, but but you can't find it on Amazon or YouTube. Oh, listen, I have a lovely. Uh, high def rip of it, and I'll be sending it to you once we conclude oh, these proceedings. Yeah. Yeah, but let's just do all Cronenberg movie clubs. Cronenberg Club. Uh, that movie is <laughs> fucking wild because there is so such bad. a sexual deviancy, at least what would be considered that by those not familiar with this type of things. In the early sex scenes, with, with that, what's that gorgeous woman's name? Deborah. I'd have to look it up. But, you know, it's James Spader and Deborah yeah. something. And they're having yeah. sex. And the, the, there's a fantasy that she's describing of him having sex with a man that you almost never hear in any other yeah Still, yeah deborah yeah. joe unger i think something like that Oh, okay and, and, and also everyone's incredible in that movie patricia arquette with the like with the um leg braces at the car dealer like fuck it's so good it's really wild and when i saw <laughs> it i was already pretty not inured to cronenberg roxana like, arquette sorry Rox, Rox, roxana uh, oh rosanna rosanna yeah, yeah rosanna yeah. yeah yeah uh i you know like when i saw crash i was already pretty familiar with how extreme cronenberg could be and and, I, and that was like oh, wow <laughs> yeah oh golly yeah yeah there was almost <laughs> there was almost that feeling of like i i loved it but i, I don't need to see that again totally totally so here's nikki at work get professional help but it's not me it's my sister it's not your sister it's you lover can't you tell isn't that why you called me you want help you need help you're going insane i can hear you disintegrating while you talk to me I've got your number, haven't I? <laughs> I hate my sister. I've got your number, haven't I? <laughs> I don't want to. It's ripping me up inside. But I do. I... Also, I just noticed she's like, I got your number, haven't I? And the woman just goes back to, 
I hate my sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the all specifically Debbie's um uh lines in this movie are so beautifully 80s like there's one part where she's talking about videodrome and she's like how do you become a contestant like <laughs> yeah how do you become like, a contestant yeah what what who's calling those these people a contestant and then there's there's another part where she's talking about going to Pittsburgh for a trip and she goes maybe I'll audition <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> all that stuff makes more sense later when it's revealed that big spoiler that Bianca Oblivion plays the tape for Max where she's killed and is used mm. as a uh, lure for him because she's a hallucination which begs the question at what point is she a hallucination because he does see the videodrome signal very early in the film another thing i thought of this on this viewing was this movie rushes out from the gate like there's no fucking around it's you're in the movie like bang that's it it's like 88 minutes but it's not one of those 88 minutes movies where you're like oh there's three montages you know because they cut up they shot a bunch of stuff that sucked so now we're gonna get a song and some (laughs) stuff um a big clue with the montage is if you see people talking in a montage it was like six scenes that didn't work that they were like we gotta (laughs) fill this thing out there's a couple diane keaton movies there's one called because i because i said so if you want to watch a rotten diane keaton movie you've seen seen that that. (laughs) yeah that's that was my uh go to sleep movie for a while because i could never i would just put me right to sleep (laughs) i love that and i wonder if we talked about it in the other episode and if we did i am proud of both of us (laughs) 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 underwear is part of the thing like one of the daughters is an underwear designer oh right there was a commercial tie-in with a tj maxx or something for because i said so underwear Oh my god, that's insane. <laughs> so on the shopping list for It was like Dakota Johnson or something, I think. Was the I doctor. think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Piper Parabo. Oh my god, love her, Coyote Ugly Queen, which also stars Monica Bello, who is in A History of Violence. Oh my god, that's right. History of Violence <laughs> is fucking wild. I, I like that when he switched from you know body horror uh stuff that people could say oh that's sci-fi or whatever yeah uh, that someone could have been sh- could have been shown that movie and have no idea that that was cronenberg and it is harrowing it really is and it's a kind of like a family drama like <laughs> yeah it's a family it's a drama. little bit of a mob movie but it's mostly <laughs> like about like this couple unraveling well i was gonna say it's another interesting aspect to cronenberg's approach to film because it's not just the stuff he he comes up with from his nightmares. He can do all of these different things. And what were you going to say? He's super, he's super interested in connecting it to reality. Um, yes. Which is, I think one of the things that stands out so much for me, for him as a director is that it's always grounded in reality. Like the setting in this is so singular, like a, tv producer like becomes like embroiled in like a slimy tv producer becomes embroiled it's like that's that's a weird thing it's always some kind of weird backstage person that is yes becoming the the um protagonist you know oh totally for instance like with dead ringers everything well this and this holds true of most of cronenberg's things the reason they're so scary is it's like those nightmares were 
it's your house and your family and then something horrific starts happening like things are normal you're you're kind of going along with it uh, james wood said in the commentary track something ab- about the breathing cassette he goes okay so right oh, here yeah. is the divided dividing line he said for people who like this kind of movie who who know cronenberg's work or just like like edgy films and pr- thought-provoking films this is where the movie really takes off for the more traditionalist types this is where they're like, check, please. <laughs> I don't, I can't <laughs> with this. Um, and uh, what were we saying? We were saying something else, but that's the way. Oh, the show I think went. we were. I think we were going through the plot still. Oh, the plot. Yeah. So, and you know what? There's more of this Nikki clip to listen to. I didn't notice. Some, one of my favorite things about doing movie club is having the audio only because in the scene, I think when the woman goes back to just sobbing about her sister, uh, they're making eyes at each other through the CRAM window. And also, Debbie Debbie is wearing like the greatest purple uh, tracksuit thing, off the shoulder, like <laughs> yeah. uh, weird, like jazzercise outfit. And I do like the slight uh, movie version of a radio station where <clears throat> all the set design that is like clearly fabricated for the film is bathed in the that color palette that only existed seemingly between 1979 and 1985 that the, the, you know what i mean like that uh, uh those per- i should ask ada because she knows all the color wheels and all that stuff what is that like incredible shrinking woman has the same thing like sea foam and and uh and like rose dusty rose yes like yeah <laughs> yeah dusty rose dusty rose and is one also of my it's colors. kind of it's kind of brilliant because when he walks into the radio station, there's like the secretary at a desk, and then you just see she's in like a porthole. So you just yeah. see like this beautiful vision of of her like at work, <laughs> and it's just like you see all the trappings of the radio station, but she's just kind of like modeling. Like <laughs> yeah. she's standing there with a, one headphone up against her ear, so as not to screw up the headband look yeah. that she's got going that's like sort of the one like aberration to the reality but i love it i love it yeah and then yeah and then she picks up at the end of the scene picks up a, a one of the carts and kisses it uh, it gestures to him and again speaking to the pace of the film it goes right from there we don't see them at dinner getting to know each other boom right to his apartment but i do want to play the rest of the uh the radio show segment because uh, her sort of um facile and uh, very, very um, shallow, that's the word I'm looking for, shallow approach to this, where clearly people are investing a lot. Like, I find that there's that kind of commentary, that, like, people put too much into uh, these figures. I don't want to, it's ripping me up inside. But I do, I do. You call our distress center, will you call the CRAM distress center? They'll tell you where to get help, lover. And you need it. You need it now. I will, I will. Thank you, Nikki. We'll return to Nikki Brand and the Emotional Rescue Show in just a moment. This is CRAM in Toronto. <laughs> the emotional rescue show i like it, like there's little jokes in there's a lot of like yeah. little gags because i mean it's a stone song for those listening who are not familiar like the emotional rescue show really that um, yeah <laughs> but you're so thrown in by the bizarreness already in the film because you don't know what the hell is going on and at this point yeah so the plot we get a taste of the upcoming serious weirdness by the third guest on the panel show, which is the Rena King show, apparently based on another real Canadian show. 
on this watch, I really noticed how little the host understood anything that anyone was saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And how it's not addressed at all that this guy, that the third guest is a a TV. (laughs) Yeah, he's a TV because in order to get his message home, he, he, because television is the way that we'll communicate, he will only appear on television on a television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And later when you learn mm-hmm. about more about Brian Oblivion, you see, oh, wait, these are interchangeable phrases that can be timed out any kind of way. Although they have to be tricky with the timing because, you know, they didn't have the pause feature wasn't as uh, uh, transparent as that. Right. So, oh, yeah, I know we were going to listen to the character that Brian Oblivion is modeled after Marshall McLuhan, who is most famous for the slogan, really. Uh, which some people deride it as just being a slogan. The medium is the message, which I think is probably one of the most concise summations of communications that ever was. The hidden aspects of the media are the things that should be taught because they have an irresistible force when invisible. When these factors remain ignored and invisible, Uh, they have an absolute power over the user. So, yes, the sooner that the population, or the young or old, can be taught the effects of these forms, the sooner we can have some sort of reasonable ecology among the media themselves. What is desperately needed is a kind of understanding of the media which would permit us to program the whole environment so that, say, literate values would not be wiped out by new media. If you understand the nature of these forms, you can neutralize some of their adverse effects and foster some of their beneficent effects. Which takes me back to what you said about the message of the film. It's not saying that the technology is bad, and that is, again, reflected in McLuhan's statements and Brian Oblivion's statements. Here's a clip of Brian Oblivion, which sounds remarkably like Marshall McLuhan. The television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Therefore, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. Therefore, whatever appears on the television screen emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. There's that part where Bianca Oblivion says something like, they can put this videodrome signal under anything and i think that goes also to the media is the message and and also the perniciousness of this videodrome signal because they basically okay so back to the plot have we given enough plot i feel like the plot is like tricky because so basically (laughs) the plot is tricky (laughs) it's a little tricky it's a little tricky we'll get back to the apartment and, and the sex stuff but uh when he is at the lab at his studio, I mean, at the television station, his pirate, his video pirate, I don't think there are video pirates anymore, sadly, but it was a good era, uh, yeah. has supposedly traced this very strange show called Videodrome. He's only got 53 seconds of it because then the satellite uh, knew that they were descrambling it and scrambled it again. Uh, and it seemed to be coming from Malaysia. Later on, he says that, oh, that was a fake. Uh, it was to throw people off. I got the whole hour. And so now Max has been watching this stuff. And what we learn later is that Max has now been uh, subject to the Videodrome signal, which is a signal underneath the visual program that produces 
uh, and triggers these hallucinations. So Harlan shows him this stuff. As we learn later, should we give the big reveal? Because I feel like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As we learn later, Harlan has been working with the Videodrome team, the gang, which is uh, run under the Shell Corporation or the parent corporation. It's not a Shell Corporation because they do have the lovely Medici line coming out uh, (laughs) of a glassware company. Uh, What does he call it when James Woods tries those on? Uh, The machinery. Oh, Machinery, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he is a uh, peddler of su- of glasses, or actually, more to the point, Barry Convex makes in, uh, inexpensive glasses for the third world. Does work for NATO missile de- missile defense for NATO, right? And clearly, the video drum stuff. So there's some right, 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 nefarious um, government tie-in. On this viewing, I was like, oh, right, Thir- gla- inexpensive glasses for the third world who are probably the nations that are being oppressed or messed with by the United States or North America in general. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like a Canadian's perspective on these things, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was one of the things in the uh, deleted scenes was that they they draw attention to the fact that Harlan is not watching the VHS says. Right. I need to watch those clips again. I think I watched them a couple weeks ago, and then it got blurry in my mind. The main thing that sticks out is that when uh, he gets a call telling him that Barry Convex wants to see him and has a like, car waiting for him, when he gets in the car, mm-hmm. Nick, Nikki is in the car in the deleted scene. And yeah. I personally would love to be picked up in an 80s limo by either Nikki Brand With or Debbie, Debbie Harry. Harry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> either one. You know, it could be a fun, maybe a risky night, but it'd be a fun night. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that scene being omitted? And I might drop some audio in later of that because I don't have it handy. But um, do you think that there was exposition that should have been left in? Or do you think that it was just material that best suited to the TV version? I don't know. I mean, it definitely... Because she's like... It's pretty clear that she's a hallucination in that scene. Yeah. So I don't... I I don't know if it, like, needed to be there. In the limo, Debbie Harry's presence is superfluous to proceedings, really. Yeah. And with this time, though, I was watching to see if you could see her in the window. Because they use the same shot. It's just cut around. When James Woods gets in the limo, he looks to his left. But then they just cut to an exterior of the car. But then when the car pulls up to Spectacular Optical, which is a fabulous name, yeah, by the way. Yeah. I would go to Spectacular Optical, uh, especially if Nikki yeah. Brand was taking me. <laughs> when he meets Nikki, and they just smash cut to his apartment. Got any porno? You serious? Yeah, gets me in the mood. That's pretty good, and I think I'm going to be making. I think that's going to be a TikTok sound very soon. Uh, um, <laughs> gets me in the mood, not with Gen Z around. Be like, got any porno? You're arrested. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like this is disgusting. He's uh, d- well, and then the, the, the other side would be like, groomer, groomer. Yeah, I just saw, <laughs> I just saw a tweet the other day that was like someone being like, honestly. <laughs> sex scenes in movies are so weird like i didn't consent to being a part of this and as the viewer you're subjecting me to a scene that i didn't consent to wasn't that the most ridiculous thing i wish i met i read more of that thread but i couldn't believe it I, i think when i first saw it i thought it was a joke a joke yeah 
Yeah, but no. As, but, I think a lot. Of, I immediately think a lot of them are, but then they're not. No, they're not. Like the more you think they're a joke, the more like someone's deadly serious. Yeah. People have this funny thing about movies now. Like I understand trigger warnings, right? Because there's sure. some things that are very upsetting, and we all know what those are. And but there's sometimes this almost like spoon feeding pablum thing that ends up with people are like, oh, I don't want to watch that if that's too this or that. Usually they're also watching serial killer documentaries, so I don't understand what they're talking about. You know what I mean? They'll watch like yeah. all of Bundy, but they won't watch like a, a I don't know. <laughs> like a, an Argento film or something. Yeah. Well, that's something that they mention in Videodrome, and I don't know if it's a, just a deleted scene, or I can't remember if it's in the actual movie. Uh-oh, we don't know what's real and what's hallucination anymore. Oh, my God! Oh. <laughs> but um, but they, say, they say something like, North America is getting soft, while the rest of the world is getting tougher. <laughs> that's right. Matter of fact, let's listen to that because I think that that is a fascinating uh, glimpse. Is at, that that's that's Convex who says that, right? Uh, it's Harlan, but Harlan. The, one of the things I love about oh, okay. Convex is Convex is written as the, I think and performed by the way by Les Carlson. I think that his performance is one of the greatest. Creepy. Oh my god, he is so creepy because he's so well mannered. And yeah. you you only see I think in the deleted scenes he's given um he's giving David Miscavige. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he yeah. is. Oh, if he could have only played him, that would have been <laughs> the greatest movie ever. Yeah. Harlan, by the way, uh, knew nothing. The guy who played him, Peter Dvorsky, knew nothing about any of the equipment. So it was like constantly like, should I undo a screw? Uh, there, and actually, James Woods told a story about he was playing a pilot, uh, plane mechanic on some film earlier than that. And he's just like, you know, he's supposed to look like he's working. So he's like unscrewing stuff and, you know, moving stuff around. And then he hears, oh, they're going to the, the stunt pilot's going to take the plane up to <gasps> do some stuff. And he went over to the AD and was like, hey, listen, you do you, uh, do you think it matters maybe that like I was unscrewing things so they they didn't have the guy take off? But <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, this yeah. This, so this this speech that we're going to listen to, when, talking about North America's getting soft, is that's where you see like the the real evil and extremism behind Barry Convex and this very genteel manner and this this uh, essentially the corporation that's in the film. That's really the only corporation. Civic TV is an independent. North America's getting soft, Patron, and the rest of the world is getting tough. Very, very tough. We're entering savage new times, and we're going to have to be pure and direct and strong if we're going to survive them. Now you and this uh, cesspool you call a television station and uh, your people who wallow around in it and uh, your viewers who watch you do it, you're rotting us away from the inside. We intend to stop that rot. We're going to start with Channel 83, Max. We're going to use it for our first authentic transmissions of Videodrome. I have a hunch it's going to be very popular. For a while. How ominous is that? For a for while. A while. <laughs> <laughs> so the test subjects will be the viewers of, apparently, this murder torture show, which yeah. is one of the most disturbing <laughs> elements of a film I think I've ever seen. It's still... 
kind of horrifying. I mean, when I saw it as a kid, yeah. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, what's your take on that? Well, I, I immediately think of TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And how, again, they're talking about banning it here. Um, yeah. Because of the brain rotting effects of it. And it's like, when it fr- those conversations first began happening, I was kind of like, what? Like, what the hell? And now I'm kind of like, yeah, ban TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking evil. It might as well be Videodrome. It's like a weird, it's like an eerily banal version of Videodrome. Um, that will that will always be true that we're like, we're in savage new times. Can yeah. we survive them? That is just always going to be true, you know? Yeah. It's always going to be true. And also, there's always going to be these nuts who are uh, say things like, uh, I think the big line for me in that is like, we've got to get strong and pure. Yeah. It, that's always scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that that's like uh, fascist um, uh, <laughs> dog whistle, you know? For, yeah. Strong, yeah. pure. Yeah. <laughs> Tough. Uh oh. Uh oh. Look out. Look out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. read a horrifying article the other day where there's this uh, network of homeschooled children that are basically Nazis and it's this huge Ugh. ring. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to cheer everyone up and tell them something uh fun about the United States since I'm presently not there. Uh but uh, you, everyone everyone can look that up on their own time. Uh not that they're paying for this, but um let's <laughs> see uh, or that we are. So Barry Convex, that sinister sinister man who we should get a little bit more of a flavor for from his message to Max that's played for him on the small TV in the uh, beautiful ladies' limo that I would still enjoy with that small TV. Uh, Yeah. I'm Barry Convex, chief of special programs, and I'd like to invite you into the world of spectacular optical, an enthusiastic global corporate citizen. We make inexpensive glasses for the third world and missile guidance systems for NATO. (laughs) We also make video drum max. And as I'm sure you know, when it's ready for the marketplace, things will never be quite the same again. It can be a giant hallucination machine and much, much more. But it's not ready. Those were test transmissions you picked up. We thought nobody could tap into them. It's good, that Harlan. Good pirate. Well, now that you have, I think we ought to have a little talk, don't you? And uh, that guy is slippery as fuck, too, because then he hasn't put in that hallucination helmet. Here's a little fun fact. I think because James Woods was leery of uh, being in in a head device, uh, Mm -hmm. helmet, rather, that was so full of bright light, it's actually David Cronenberg in that shot. Really? Oh, my God. Isn't that cool? That's That's fab. It's one of the few frames that James Woods isn't in. Following the helmet scene, when uh, they're recording Max Wren's hallucinations, he hallucinates being in the Videodrome box and whipping a television. Mm-hmm. And the original plan for this scene was uh, thus. Later on in the movie, you'll see an effect that was something that I really balked at. It was standing in water up above my ankles with cables running through the water to light the television. And I had to stand in the water and whip the TV. And, uh, you know, I remember saying to the electrician, I said, are you sure this is safe? I said, because this is before they had ground fault interrupter switches. And it would be a situation where if there was one bad connection, I'd be electrocuted and I'd be in a puddle of water. Nobody could get me out. 
And I remember uh, the guy said, well, we feel pretty confident about it. I said, well, pretty confident when it comes to your life is not really what you're looking for. And he said, no, no, I, I feel confident about it. I said, do you have any kids? He said, yeah, I have a four-year-old daughter. I said, well, why don't we bring her down here and put her in the water and turn on the switch and see what happens? He said, well, that I wouldn't do. I said, well, you know, of course you wouldn't do it, and I don't blame you. And um, if you wouldn't do it for her, then we're not doing it for me. So we got rid of the water. <laughs> oh, my God. That's... That honestly, like he slayed. <laughs> oh yeah, he slayed. And, and you get the sense that, like, that's how he talks all the time. Very fast talker, yeah. <laughs> wildly articulate. You want to kill your daughter? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got like, any kids? So, um, <laughs> if you want me to come to this meeting, uh, would you be comfortable if your daughter was here with a gun to her? <laughs> <laughs> if if the answer is no, then I'm. What not if coming. I sliced your grandma's head off? <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting moment when he is whipping the television, which is a great vibe anyway is you think you're going to see nikki on the tv but you end up seeing masha yeah oh what a fucking character that what's her name lynn gorski i think so yeah she's amazing oh my god she's so good i like when she warns him off videodrome like she knows something she found out something and i wonder if because she found out something that she got killed in the videodrome yeah yeah probably probably um and then there's that great moment i mean there's these great just like because of the setting these great moments of just like cd cd interactions between cd people and like there's that moment where um he's she he's like give me give me all the information you got and she's like uh, for a price and he's like well i'll take a shower with you and she's like i'm sure you'll be very beautiful but you're a little old for me <laughs> and then they cut to that insanely like <laughs> like feminine but like not font haircut not a young looking guy like no no he not looks at like all. ill <laughs> <laughs> he does look ill he looks very ill and he looks like he's wearing um fake mustache and a wig yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're like oh here's this uh extra from dallas buyers club like <laughs> <laughs> I like them younger, but where they're they're really addicted to meth. <laughs> yeah, I, like basically, if they don't have teeth, it makes things a lot easier <laughs> in certain uh, areas. But we're having lunch at a Greek restaurant. I don't want to get too explicit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that shot too because it there's something. What is it? It's the sex scene. It's oh yeah, it's the, like the really heavy S and M scene where um, Nikki is leading James Woods down the primrose path of um, of S&M to a degree because he's been sort of intrigued by it. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a clip from James Woods' commentary. I, listen, sorry, if you don't like James Woods to the point that you won't listen to him, I, my apologies. But, uh, you know, listen, the, uh, the art versus the artist. Here we go. Well, I asked a psychologist about this kind of relationship when I was doing the movie, and and he explained to me that the part of the masochistic experience that people miss is how comfortable masochism is with sadism and vice versa, of course. I mean, it's the old, you need two to tango. And she is genuinely a fulfilled masochist as a character. He is not comfortable with being a sadist, but he is titillated by both sides of it. That ingredient is really interesting to me as well yeah. because everything is titillating about it. Obviously, I was very excited to see Debbie Harry naked when I was a kid. I mean, I'm never not excited <laughs> to see Debbie Harry naked, right? And then, <laughs> as you pointed out, James Woods is super hot in it. And the scene they have where they're making love and then doing some the ear piercings and all that. But where they're, yeah. laying, they're laying naked and it's beautifully shot. 
you can't really see anything too explicit. I think you see her chest, but not even that much. You just basically see their forms. Yeah, it's very intimate and like soft and like uh, sensual. And that scene actually suffered in the theatrical cut. Uh, it and there was a lot of censors. There's a there was a couple different cuts. Thankfully, I think you and I have only seen the unrated director's cut because the unrated director's cut was what was on VHS. Oh, an interesting thing that would happen around that time is they would do that sometimes not even announced. And there's also a slight connection to Repo Man, which we'll get to in a second if I remember. This is a scene where <laughs> there was also some censorship involved. At this point, the camera starts to pull back and we see that we are no longer in max wren's living room but in fact we're on the videodrome set when it was suggested that i had to well was more than suggested demanded that i cut this scene that we could only show them having this kind of sex for a few seconds i don't know how these things are judged why four seconds is okay and eight seconds isn't but the solution was that i would just show the beginning of the shot and a quick little pop back to the end of the shot and i i said well but then you won't be able to notice that there there's a kind of strange hallucination going on in max's mind that he's suddenly having sex on the video drum set in his tv set in a way and uh, i was told no one had actually noticed that at the mpaa anyway <laughs> and that therefore no one in the audience would notice it so it was no loss that was basically their attitude no we heard what you said but it, we didn't notice that so right oh it's the you pillars of sophistication yeah all those fulbright scholars at the mpaa <laughs> jesus i i hate to think of though i want to see now the vh uh, not the vhs but the cut version just to see how butcher that is because that scene is pretty uh critical to the rest of the movie yeah, it's one of the uh, more, um, when I think of that movie, that's one of the first things that I think of is that scene. The camera angle, it doesn't indicate anything. Like you don't, you're not told in this movie ever when you're shifting from perspective or hallucination or anything. Like sets just disappear into other sets and you're pulled in by them making love kissing he pierces her ears and then they're making love he starts kissing her after piercing the other ear and then the camera just slowly pulls back and there they are on the video drum set which does i think um beget a lot of questions later on when you start thinking oh nikki was a hallucination yeah just wholesale okay so then if the plot wasn't confusing enough for those of you who haven't seen the film (laughs) Uh, so there's uh, menacing forces at play who want to utilize the video drum signal. And their plan is to get Max to kill his partners, uh, give them civic TV. One question would be, well, isn't there another way they could have done that? But why quibble, right? <laughs> right, right, right. This does establish that they can then insert a breathing, living uh, Betamax cassette. In, that's why the format never took off of Ben's VHS. It was too insertable in the stomach. Yeah, you had to feed them. and <laughs> That's the problem. They breathed a lot. <laughs> they would scare the kids. You know, VHS, yeah. a lot easier. Um, yeah. <laughs> so th- they program him. And we actually see, a, a, an, in essence, what Videodrome could do to people. Because he is turned from the skeptical, wise-ass, sleazy, but... Um, I, I wouldn't say principled, but he certainly wouldn't do any of the stuff that they program him to do. There's that other hallucination where he thinks he's slapping Debbie Harry. Yes, 
Yeah. Friday. Yeah. yeah. Friday is so hot. I have to say, I have a crush <laughs> on all the women in the film. Uh, even yeah. Masha. Masha could be fun. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Sonia Smiths, who plays Bianca Oblivion, and Friday. They all kind of... It's the... Um, American Horror Story effect where like all the brunette men look the same it's like everyone all the women in this movie have a kind of similar like if you kind of squint they're all like a little similar <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah if I took my lenses out I'd be like oh wait is that oh no no that's oh I Bianca can't tell Friday oh uh, Nikki oh my god yeah <laughs> Bianca's hairdos are great and as I was yes. uh, made aware of in one of the clips like it's fascinating that the brian oblivion stage set that he has and the room that bianca seems to live in above the cathode ray mission is like medieval looking yeah 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 it's like a it is very the whole thing is very scientology it, yeah it really is it really is the, like weird the weird like church thing but then it's also this like far-reaching organization with weird ties to like biotechnology like it's so it's very it, it's very um yeah very scientology very kind of mormon like weird churchy vibes but with no explicit church affiliation ties. yeah yeah at the end when convex gets it <laughs> oh yeah they're at the the expo or whatever that's in like a crazy church too Oh yeah, that's right. It's a very church-like environment, and or biblical looking, or uh, uh, like kind of stained glass looking thing. Yes, stained glass, and also there's something about. Uh, now I'm going to show a huge lack of uh, knowledge, a big blind spot here. But I, the Medici's, that's a whole thing, right? I mean, that's the worst historical summation yeah. of anything ever. <laughs> but the Medici line, like that's something, and then they show these dancers and. I saw a documentary recently about industrial musicals, and I'll have to find the name of it, but I should look it up now because that doesn't help anyone to find it. But industrial musicals (laughs) were really a thing. Like, this is my bathroom or welcome to my bathroom. If you Google welcome to my bathroom on on YouTube, you will find this incredible song, uh, a video, actually, because sometimes these things were made into films. And what an industrial musical is is basically a corporate musical, but they called them industrials back then. And those would be shown... Yeah, they they would either be live uh, stage plays, much like the thing we see in Videodrome, with the dancers and the the hot music that um, we can sample (laughs) in a moment. So they would sometimes have whole musicals written specifically for the companies like Exxon or uh, bathroom products. And they would hire all of the leading... Um, composers because they would pay them like triple the amount that they would get for a show and these were shows that were meant to be seen basically once maybe twice and Mm -hmm. but a lot of them were recorded for posterity to give to the employees as a memento of the big corporate convention and one of the amazing things about the film is it sort of shows that the decline of that sort of thing is uh, contemporaneous with the decline of the industrial workforce of America, you know, as, as gross as it might seem to have a an Exxon or a Taco Bell musical, I would, which I would, I would actually <laughs> like to see the Taco Bell musical. I think that sounds amazing. It doesn't that sound great? Um, <laughs> oh, you know, I should play you a little bit of "Welcome to My Bathroom." It, it's from a musical called "The Bathrooms Are Coming." So, uh, a company like um, I don't know what's one of those companies that makes uh, bathroom stuff. 
did oh, um like comet or something yeah yeah exactly uh, i think it was a fixtures company oh so like um, i'll look those up and i'll i'll uh, report back after we hear a bit of my bathroom my bathroom my bathroom is a private kind of place very special kind of She says cream. She, is she talking about lotion? I, yeah, I believe so. Although <laughs> the mind does wander. I know that we've been exposed to this filthy material in video drums, yeah. perhaps. You know, that's what's taking our, my, us down our minds. Road. Our tumors are acting up. <laughs> our brain tumors are acting up. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These horrible. We, we're actually giving you a tumor if you're listening to this <laughs> via the signal underneath our voices. Yeah. <laughs> Macy and I have been working together on this project for a while. Uh, we're d- working on delivering glasses to uh, the Midwest instead of the third world nations, yeah, but also the, working on missile guiding. The flyover country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, like, clearly, they can't see things too well because they still show up as voting red. Exactly. So, <laughs> here's a touch of Welcome to My Bathroom. And the film <laughs> that documents all of this stuff is called Bathtubs Over Broadway. It's about... One of the writers on the Letterman staff who used to do a sketch on Letterman called Dave's Records, where he would go out and find like sort of the strangest, uh, looniest records that he could find. This is in the 80s, too. So he'd be scouring all the New York record shops. Mm. And he started to find these industrial musicals. That was became his passion to find them, to track down the writers of them. And a lot of them, you know, maybe they had printed up 700 copies of an album to give out. At a thing, so some of them were uh, big collectibles, and then he found the two other guys who were the uh, his competition for stuff on eBay. One of them, Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys. Oh, and it's a it's actually a moving documentary too, because performers like um, Martin Short and Andrea Martin got 
not their start, but basically were able to pay their rent by doing these because they paid like three to four times the amount of a regular stage production. Oh, wow. And they were treated well. Yeah. And so, and a lot of people would do that, like, you know, maybe like part of the month and the rest of the month they could focus on their other work. How gorgeous is the score for this film? For Videodrome? Yeah. Oh my God. It's like monumental. Howard Shore and some synthesizers. Yeah. And he's done most of Cronenberg's stuff, I think. Also, the, um, the, all the like associated media that's shown in the movie, like the, um, mm-hmm. Samurai Dreams and the yes. Adonis and Dionysus. Um, yes. It's so gorgeous and just like so, like the, the, uh, music in those is so beautiful as well. Music in those is fantastic. And on your criterion, you have the, Unexpurgated the full thing, yeah. Samurai Dreams. It's so cool. Is Adonis and Dionysus on that as well? I can't remember. I can't you know it's a pisser. I got the Arrow uh, Blu-ray over here because I always meant to pick up the Criterion. I think I rented it a couple times. I was yeah. like, oh, I got to get this. And then I didn't, and I bought the Arrow one. Uh, and the Arrow one is missing the Cronenberg commentary track and the James Woods Debbie Harry commentary track. But no! I know. What's the deal with that? However... Thankfully, someone, some uh, bright spark on YouTube had uploaded them. So thank you, YouTube. Do they still do commentary tracks for films? I, I feel like I don't see them, really. I don't know. I, I wonder about that as well, because physical media, uh, people aren't as into it, uh, which is, I think, a shame, because I think physical media, if you like a film, you should be able to have it forevermore because there's this myth yeah i think miss or misapprehension rather that people think oh everything's on streaming and it's not it's not there's a, a, there's a small fraction of, of films that are available on streaming yes how often do you find that there's something that you're looking for and you're like i can't even find it streaming well crash the other day i was telling someone to watch crash and that i was like no clearly that you're you're mistaken it's obviously somewhere to rent and then, no, it's not. Yeah. And that feeling, too, when you're like, oh, well, you probably don't know where to look outside exactly. of Netflix. That's very cute of you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then and then me, the the great, uh, you know, crate digger of of um, <laughs> of these movies. It's like, I just go right onto Amazon and write Crash 96. It's like as if they didn't try that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I have a special technique. I don't want to tell you about it, though. <laughs> I'll just, I'll take care of it for you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What's worse is when one of the movies like that is not on streaming and you think, oh, that's on DVD, right? I, I saw it not at the store because what store is there anymore? Although in LA, there's a couple or like, oh, I remember when that came out on DVD, forgetting that some stuff came out 20 years ago on DVD. Yeah. And then you find, oh, well, I'll just, I'll buy it. And then you go look on eBay. It's like $79 for <laughs> something. Yeah. You know, what's great right now is because cds are so not fashionable they're all like they're all still seven dollars for like any like pj harvey bjork uh tori amos Mm -hmm. whole record that would be like a mint on ebay for the vinyl is like five dollars for the cd so i've been stockpiling cds Good for you, because the vinyl prices are ridiculous lately. I remember when Iggy's not last album, the one he did with the Queens of the Stone Age guys mm. came out, and uh, something depression. It's really good. It's about 33 minutes long, and the list price was $38. I went, I cannot buy 
something that is more than a dollar a minute uh, like this <laughs> post pop depression is the name of it great album horrible cover so i thought okay that's that then like album yeah. cover yeah the cover is just dreadful it's like oh, just a black and white picture of him and the guys and yellow sort of writing on a it, it looks awful mm. here's a new album out i'm excited to check that out oh and the repo man connection it's not really a true solid connection but i've been re-obsessed with repo man and i've this never seen that film and repo oh i've oh, never seen repo man. i'll send it I'll send it to you. So there's a slew of things that will be coming your way. I think you would very much enjoy Repo Man. And I'm going to be doing a movie club at some point. I reached out to Alex Cox, the writer-director, but I think he's burnt on talking about it. Uh, He's kind of an interesting character. He also made a spaghetti western starring Joe Strummer and uh, with the Pogues playing a gang. Pretty good. It's called Straight to Hell. I can send that to you, too. Video Pirate. I guess I have to take that um, uh, title. (laughs) <laughs> um, so Repo Man was at Universal Pictures at around the same time as this movie and in an in interview oh I think Pierre David actually let's listen to Pierre David talk about the marketing of the film because uh, they ran into some problems surprise surprise weird I know I, I don't know how that could be I mean this is like the people who like Kramer versus Kramer will like this film <laughs> yeah stomach vagina sure <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can we hit the women's market? Can we? <laughs> so, oh yeah, there's uh, also at the time at in this part of the '80s, movies like Body Double were being picketed by women's groups saying that violence against women is being encouraged by things like this. Meanwhile, in Body Double, the only truly strong character in the film is the porn star. Yeah, um, that's another favorite of mine. Um, that's De Palma, yeah, so, right? Anyway, yeah, De Palma. I love him. I oh, love Brian great. De Palma. His 80s output was so great. Oh, incredible. I have to rewatch, I think it's a 90s one, but Snake Eyes. I got to rewatch that. I don't know if I've seen Snake Eyes. Oh, Sisters? Was that 80s? Oh, that might have been 70s or maybe even 60s 70s. With Margot Kidder. Early 70s. Yeah, early 70s. And then Phantom of the Paradise is one oh, of my favorite movies of all so time. So good. I love Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> he's still coming out with fucked up weird shit oh my god did you see passion was that the one with uh rachel mcadams and um yes the girl with the dragon tattoo uh yeah yeah it was great it was great the movie was fucking crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, fr- a friend of mine goes well it was okay but it just was like all the de palma tropes put into one i was like yeah what that's more do you want about. And like Femme Fatale, <laughs> yeah. Femme Fatale is like one of my favorite movies. I love that one. It, it's, I love that. And when he got a, he got accused of misogyny quite a few times, and he basically said, "Okay, so the most exciting thing in a cin- in a film is a very uh, a woman lit well, photographed well in peril." So uh, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. People as- are usually gripped by that. As the uh, the tagline for Inland Empire reads, a woman in trouble. <laughs> that's all I want to see. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. And no one came down on David Lynch for that. Um, it is weird that he doesn't really get more of that. <laughs> it's like too weird to engage with. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think when Blue Velvet came out, I think there was a bit of an uproar. I think even actually uh-huh. Roger Ebert legendarily despised Blue Velvet. Oh, yeah, I have heard that. When he hated a movie, he really hated it. Actually, and guess what movie he hated? He did not like Videodrome. Oh, that makes sense. 
It does. Uh, although, strangely enough, Gene Siskel kind of liked it. He felt it fell apart a little in the end. But usually, Siskel would be the more fuddy-duddy one. Mm. And then Ebert would like most of the newer kind of things. Although, Ebert would make titanic mistakes, like he gave a thumbs down to all that jazz. Which, <laughs> that makes no sense <laughs> at all. That's, so That's funny. to me, one of the... I know, right? So, I wasn't able to find the entire Roger Ebert review. And sadly, whatever episode they did where the Siskel and Ebert did a video drum on the, on the show, I cannot find. But this is an excerpt from Ebert's review. The characters are bitter and hateful. The images are nauseating and the ending is bleak enough that when the screen and the ending is bleak enough that when the screen fades to black, it's a relief. <laughs> Videodrome, whatever its qualities, has got to be one of the least entertaining films of all time. <laughs> I mean, there's many things that you can accuse it of, but not entertaining is not one of them. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more because even if you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. That's you're entertained. It's you know like what? about you're, you're... Um, overstimulation. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And, and I like that Nikki says something like, I'm a, a, it was a highly stimulated and highly. I'm in a highly stimulated state all the time. <laughs> That's right, doll. <laughs> yeah. Doll face. <laughs> what she, she's like, I don't deny it. I'm part of it too. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm part of it, too. And yeah. one wonders, at what point is she a hallucination? It must be after that. Oh, that's the. But, you know, these questions could go on forever because, again, speaking to the slam bag nature, he sees that video, a videodrome, before anything else happens in the movie except him waking up to his video alarm clock. Right. That part also is, like, a little bit disorienting. It's like, is this happening? Because it... <laughs> all plays out before he actually wakes up you know and we see how he sleeps fully clothed slumped on his couch literally me <laughs> i have to say oh, oh yeah i i've i've been known to do that myself um particularly during the pandemic when i would have to trick myself to go to sleep yeah i would be like no no we're gonna watch a movie laying on the bed and then i'd wake up fully clothed with the top cover pulled over through the side uh -huh. as like a way to just like you know because you're just like in a bad mood state and i was like well there i'm sweaty and i got to change my clothes but i slept um <laughs> so um i think we covered the plot to a degree they want to use max for the their ends but and so max is being uh thrown around like a puppet uh poor girl friday poor friday she is uh lovely and um but she helps him escape so good for her yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, I don't really know what happened, but let's go. I don't know. There's three people in this room. Two of them are shot. Max, what happened? What happened? <laughs> yeah, two of them are shot, and you're running out. <laughs> yeah, you're running out, and you won't show me what's in your hand. Are you okay? Are you okay? Let me bring you into the room with the Canada dry machine. And a convenient window that you can climb out of. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the when, when, he ex when he makes Harlan explode. He just casually walks through the debris of the blown out wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and that video alarm clock, I meant to say, I don't think I caught this before because I was just jarred by the, oh, this is that great video alarm clock thing. And then thinking, so does he load the tape in at night and then the timer will play it? I guess that's how we'd have to I do guess it. Because so. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, when did they have the, it was some kind of a Rube Goldberg machine, like a grandfather <laughs> clock, like knocked off like a marble and <laughs> like hit play. <laughs> yeah. And, and Friday puts it in a chute from the top of the, the, <laughs> yeah. the city TV building, which is, by the way, very big building. When oh, they yeah. show the establishing shot, it's massive. And Civic TV is right on the front marquee. Uh, there's 
big posters all over the thing, yeah. which is smart. I bet that was, I wonder if that was a movie theater. And they were like, great, just print these up, stick them in there. Let's oh, go. Yeah. Could be. Um, uh, oh, yeah. So in the video message, she tells him that he has a, a 6.30 a.m. appointment for, with the Oriental Dreams guy. 6.30 a.m. at this hotel at a suite, supposedly. Yeah. Which never registered to me before that it was a 6.30 a.m. meeting. They go in there and he goes, oh, would you like a whiskey? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's following his delicious, nutritious breakfast of a cafe au lait and old pizza that wasn't even covered dipped in the cafe au lait. <laughs> he is gnarly. His, like, routine is gnarly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Like he seems to sleep in those clothes. Although I like the shirts that he wears; they're well cut, and they also hold to the the color palette. They're they're a yeah. different kind of purple, but they're in the purple realm. And how much do you love his apartment with the glass bricks? Oh my god, it's beautiful! It's beautiful. And the glass doors too, which you really yes. see when Harlan opens them up to take the photograph of the thing that he knows isn't there. Also, his jacket the whole time i i this time i really noticed it <laughs> that gray is that a members only jacket well first there's oh, no, a no, gray long jacket and then yeah. at the end of the movie when he's kind of the like kind of like half person half vid, half vhs player he um <laughs> he's got that like brown leather that's right that's a great one and though the, the and the special effects i think still hold up yeah all these uh, pra- and practical effects are great. It reminds me also of um, The Thing and how The Thing is still one of the most disgusting movies I've ever seen. Yep, totally. Well, there's a couple of shots in Videodrome that I've never seen anywhere else. The TV is one of them. The TV uh, breathing. There's one shot where veins come up out of the top of the yeah. TV, but yeah. which is so cool and weird. Um, and then, the, but the, uh, the pillowy TV that he can put his face into, that's still like yeah. mind blowing to me. Like, I still like, can't really tell how they did that. Um, would you like to, would you like to hear uh, a sort of summation that might yeah. get screwed up? I might. I figure so, that it's like a kind of, uh, stretchy fabric that can be blown up and then yeah. is projected on from the inside. Is that exactly? Okay. Yeah, they had a projector on it, and then they said it was one of the hardest effects to do. Yeah, in the whole thing, which makes sense because he's got to really like manipulate it with his hands and all of that. It that's one of the most arresting images still. Yeah, in, in film, and also the rather alluring Debbie Harry going, "Come to me, Max. Come to Nikki," and then when he puts his head in the tv in the or in her mouth she's like like it's yeah wild it's so cool it's so cool and i love that in that scene it never it gets obviously like uh surreal but you're never getting like come to me max yeah. like it's never like warping like i feel it's resisting the I don't even know if it would have been a trope at that time, but what's become the trope of like technology going weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's never like a robotic voice that, or like a sudden like doom or like sound. It's glitchy, anything like, yeah. 
Yeah, once we get past the initial static of the faked uh, satellite pirate signals, because as we mentioned before, Harlan Harlan is in league with uh, the bad guys, so he faked that whole thing mm-hmm. and tricked him into thinking it was something illicit and illegal, which is part of the reason he was drawn to it. It also begs the question, uh, what other programs has Harlan found in the past? <laughs> That was a two-year operation, where yeah. he, and there's stacks of tapes in that that lab. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the the mise en scène of uh, <laughs> when he when Max is first walking through, um, there's activity going on in every inch of the frame, yeah. and it's a really well choreographed thing. And you really are like, oh, this is a bustling TV office. Yeah, and then the two posters behind him uh, at all times are like something dark in the woods or something. I don't know. I, I wrote them down, and I I don't know where I wrote them down, <laughs> but um, wait, maybe it's on my notes. Uh, oh, something waits in the dark is one poster. Oh, and the other one is up, up from the depths. But later, when he's programmed to kill, he walks past a bunch of posters for like the evil and some other actual films. And I have to mention, there's phenomenal ADR work throughout the film. Usually, you're too focused on what's going on, and it just adds to the mise en scène. Mm-hmm. So uh, you don't really notice it like this. But here's the sound of the hallway of the hotel where Max goes to meet the Oriental Dreams merchants. Okay. never noticed that that's so funny <laughs> it was the first time i really noticed it and it's uh, on the screen is james woods he knocks gently at the door then he leans over and he steals something off of the maid's car like <laughs> mints or something i don't know what he's he's just like, he, he scavenges for food apparently that's all he ever does you yeah. never see him eat um, no no that's how he stays so uh, uh so ripped. trim yeah uh, yeah <laughs> there's more of that sort of stuff going on when they uh when he's approaching the cathode ray mission and it's just like ah, piss like there's this woman talking about piss there's like layers of that stuff um there is a cool thing about the cathode ray uh, let's see while I'm, while we're waiting to find that out let's let's, let's enjoy this Welcome to the spectacular optical extravaganza where we introduce you to the Medici line of fine visual hardware. Machinery, in fact. And now I'd like to introduce the man who made this all possible, the man who brought us Videodrome, the man who brought us those guided missiles. It's none other, the one, the only, the Barry Convict. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. We're back here never again because uh, Videodrome, uh, Death of Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Yes. I like the perverse uh, counter message of that, too. Death of Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Yes. Yes. Which leaves you wondering what's going to happen because someone else is going to be involved with Videodrome. And at the end, of course, Nikki appears on the screen. Is it a hallucination or is it the truth or is it a true hallucination saying, well, the video drum's not going to stop, which I think also speaks to the idea of uh, a pernicious energy like this. Someone's always going to be trying to uh, mess with it. Oh, and to what you were saying before about TikTok, 
this does presage the whole thing with uh, social media being so invasive and what is real and what is not real. Yeah. The classic thing that people talk about with, uh, you know, on Instagram, you see the best parts of people's lives. You don't see the the sorrow and the suffering. I don't know if that would be a, a hot uh social network but uh <laughs> you you do tend to get a bit of a warped perspective though i find that I, I i'm cheerier after looking at tiktok if the algorithm's going the right way than i am instagram but there is this addictive thing to it because and which i relate also to what i noticed this viewing where max sometimes he's working on some papers and there's voiceover moments from other characters going on in his head and i don't know what he's writing he's scribbling on a pad but he just has the torture material with the video drum signal on in the background because it gives the impression that you get addicted to it yeah and it becomes air yeah yeah because he he's uh more and more like he looks like a junkie later on like he yeah. they're all constantly saying oh you look like shit max what's funny is when they say you look terrible max and you're like he's actually still pretty handsome i don't know what also like <laughs> He kind of looked like shit at the beginning, but like in you know in a sexy way. But like yeah. he's he's always looked like this, you know. Yeah, he's always looked a little like uh, you know pulled through the garden hedge, yeah, uh, backwards kind of thing. Uh, he doesn't have the greatest complexion. I'll, I'll just say yeah, that, you know. Sure. Yeah, but uh, still very very uh, good looking. There's a couple other great James Woods performances from the '80s. If you're into watching uh, an actor who is is despicable in real life. Uh, bestseller is really good and there's one just called cop they're both great <laughs> oh, i saw cool. them in the 80s but yeah and and another one with oliver stone directing called Sa- salvador oh when uh james woods goes in to talk to bianca oblivion he asks her about the cathode ray mission or what's going on because essentially uh, i mean if you haven't seen the movie by now uh by the end of by this part of the episode i don't know what to tell you um it's, it's like a homeless shelter but or a soup kitchen yeah and instead of food they're given access to tv and in a statement that almost seems farcical or could seem farcical there's actually something very true about this because um essentially bianca tells uh, max wren that their current condition the state of being that they're in whether it's homeless or just sort of uh, at loose ends and uh, isolated from the rest of the world it, it is that quote it's a disease forced on them by the lack of television and when he quizzes her further uh she says well watching tv will help patch them back into the world he said oh nothing's going to help these people why do you think this is going to help them and she says watching tv will help patch them back into the world's mixing board and and i kind of think that to a degree that's true i think that people are who are um if not forcibly but uh through circumstances uh, beyond their control excised from the culture or excised from or, or or isolated from the culture at large mm-hmm. it's almost like they they don't have anything to talk about them with what do you think about that yeah i can see that um and also that scene was always very confusing to me how these people arrived there what they were getting from this why would they would keep coming back for this um but the deleted one of the deleted scenes Mm. shows him doing kind of an intake there with a woman and she she they apparently they are giving people food right but they also watch tv and that's right yeah um and it's and he's like do you mind if i watch channel 83 and she's like i don't care what you watch um (laughs) 
and I should watch those scenes again. I sent them to you, and then I was like, "Yeah, I, I'll get to those." <laughs> uh, no, it, it was it was illuminating. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is the kind of operation they're running. It's like a little more covert." Um, but yeah, the idea of um, knowing what's going on, having—I mean, yeah, just like having common ground with people it yeah uh, there there is some kind of a i forget who said it but it's like money doesn't buy happiness unless you're talking about like your basic needs or whatever um exactly is it maslov maybe maybe um is it's the maslov pyramid of need that i'm thinking of pyramid of yeah, it's like the, at the very base le- level, it's like food and shelter. Yeah, and yeah. if you if you have that covered, then you can think about the next layer, mm-hmm. which is something else. There's like five layers, but like, and then if you're like wealthy, then you can or, or to whatever degree that would be on this chart, then you can start like you know imp- like actually thinking about philosophy or higher minded things. But you need those fa- uh, uh, foundational blocks. Yeah, so it's like if you are experiencing homelessness it changes something in your brain. Yeah. So like in a way you're kind of like skipping a step by, by providing TV instead of food or shelter. But I can see the logic there, I guess. I I was struck by, I think for the first time like that on this viewing, which is again, another reason why rewatching a movie like this is great. Last time I saw it, was the first time I saw it on the big screen, which was a thrill. I saw it maybe five or six years ago. Oh, cool! Uh, at midnight, at, at yeah, at the New Beverly, which was fantastic. I know I didn't watch the deleted scenes. I started watching them. I, I went, wait a second, I haven't watched the movie in a while. I'm not yeah. gonna fuck it up by watching the deleted bits now. Yeah. Um, in the commentary, there's something that Cronenberg says about how missions he always found funny in a way or like odd because it's like we're gonna trade you food for getting into our religion like we're gonna lure you in with food your basic needs and then uh sling you into this which reminds me of something that masha talks about when she says the reason videodrome is dangerous is that it has a philosophy yeah something that you don't yeah yeah exactly yeah to max um yeah yeah okay yeah so that kind of the like videodrome being in in lieu of like a maniacal like religion is yeah. this videodrome idea this like tumor technology cult yes exactly yeah, yeah. and i think that the tumor is something that they're trying to figure out like i wonder if the, their aim is to give these people tumors so they die or if it's like they're trying to figure out how to uh, uh get around the tumor solve that little side effect problem so they can control the masses my understanding of it or how i interpreted it was that they're trying to move humanity onto the next plane like the ending of the movie i mean maybe we're skipping maybe i'm skipping forward a little bit by talking about the ending that's okay um when, oh, that's all right. We've uh, we've been skipping around, and yeah. hopefully it's being listened to by people who have seen the film, or after listening to this, will be curious. And it'll be just as jumpy in the film, so go ahead. <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> d- at the end, when he is in the that weird boat, and Debbie Harry 
is on the screen, appears on the screen, apparently a hallucination. She's talking to him and she says, your body has already changed a lot, but this is just the beginning. Um, I'll mm. show you how to go move on to the next phase. It's easy. Um, and then he shoots himself in the head with the flesh gun, and that's where the story ends. But to me, I read that as like there's there's a there's a next step in consciousness that they're trying to move everyone mm-hmm. towards somehow. And yeah, the the goal of Videodrome would be to control people and keep them on this side of the of the plane of existence yeah and the new flesh would be to go fully into whatever that next plane is you know i like that a lot and i think that that actually helps to clarify a couple things that um i've always sort of been confused about but i think mainly because of death the videodrome long live the new flesh but at the end mm-hmm. he just says long live the new flesh he doesn't say death the videodrome yeah yeah i think videodrome is a mind control technique but uh, the new flesh is like using that technology to advance humanity and advance it in the way that the whoever is controlling it uh, wants. Brian Oblivion was a collaborator of theirs mm-hmm. and helped to develop the technology until he discovered that they wanted to use it for nefarious ends. Yeah, and then he. De- Mm-hmm. And then was killed after making a huge amount of tapes. I also like that there's <laughs> all every, every kind of format of tape is there. There's one inch reels. There's uh, beta. There's like large digibeta or whatever. Like every shape, size, and format is available. Also, there. Bianca says he's made thousands of videos, sometimes three or four a day. It's <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like three or four a day. Whoa, you're kidding. I guess he couldn't he have made more. Like. I know a few more a day. I mean, if he's making thousands, wasn't it eleven months that he had after yeah. he discovered the tumor? I I don't know how that math works out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I guess he'd have his content ready for TikTok. Oh, that's he'd good. Be, he would slay on TikTok. We hinted at the uh, marketing issues. Oh, what I was saying about Repo Man. Repo Man was at Universal at the same time, and then the uh, the head of the studio changed right before repo man was going to be released. Sadly, a thing that happens a lot at studios is whatever's on the slate about to come out. That was greenlit by the previous head of the studio gets fucked over in marketing by the new chief of staff. But in this case, the new chief of staff came in and said something not that bad to Pierre, David, the producer, but still they did a test screening. Interesting though. Well, you'll find out where the test screening was. Then Bob watches the movie, and Bob and I were and are very close. And Bob tells me, Pierre, I was not there when this movie was greenlit. I had nothing to do with it. I'm seeing the product. It's a very good movie, not a studio movie, and it's ahead of its time. I honestly don't know, A, how the audience will react, and B, how to sell it. So he said, let's do a test. And he decides to screen it in Boston. We all go to Boston. The test preview was a disaster. Yeah, no shit. I've never, I've seen only <laughs> one test preview worse than that, and it was a Piazza Dora movie in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, this, Not Boston. I have my Piazza Dora jacket here. Yeah, I'm a big Piazza Dora fan. Oh, I actually got cool. to tape with her at her house. And oh no way! 
I've seen the film that he's referring to, and uh, yeah, it's a bit of a doozy, that one. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it co-stars, I think, Telly Savalas, and it's called oh. uh, Fake Out. There's, there's a women in prison scene, though, which is great, and she teaches an aerobics class in the prison. So that's 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 pretty good stuff. Oh um, uh, I'm originally from the Massachusetts area, so I've always, I find it hilarious that the test screening was in Boston, and I do wonder, where in Boston did they show Videodrome to get a negative reaction? Because like there was there was art house cinemas then there used to be this place the Orson Welles Cinema where they would oh, show okay. like pink flamingos and I'm like couldn't they have picked the right crowd? <laughs> Oftentimes you hear about these test screenings and they're out in some like part of California that's like not anywhere like LA. Yeah, it's like Redding or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and sometimes they would do the test screening as like a sneak preview with some movie that was totally incompatible, which to me sometimes says that the studio is like we don't want to put money behind it so we want to get proof that no one likes it yes absolutely i think they say as much in that mpa documentary this film is not yet rated or something i did that was a fascinating one i think they pretty much say as much that they're like if if we we know what we're doing when we're screening these films and and who we're putting them in front of you know yeah no they definitely know what they're doing because like those decisions are idiotic People that are chosen are like, you know, it's like random people. I'm a huge William Friedkin fan, and I love his Q and A's. And he was taught that someone said, "Oh, do you ever test your films?" And he said, "Are you kidding me?" He's like, "Do you think they would have released the fucking Exorcist if we tested that thing?" He's like, "Do you think about what the people would have written?" He's like, "There's, uh, oh, what's your favorite part of the movie when the twelve year old masturbates with a crucifix or?" <laughs> And he said, you know, he said, Sylvester Stallone shared with me the test cards for Rambo 2. And the one that he kept said, the movie needs more deeth, D-E-E-T-H. He said, the guy couldn't even spell death. And this is the opinion that the studio wants to take. (laughs) Jesus Christ. What's this? Videodrome. Like, that's just good to hear at any time. <laughs> I use that in the promo, too, for my for my night video drum at the oh, beginning, fab. just a clip of her. <laughs> What's this video drum? Let's listen to a little a bit of the inspiration behind the film. I remember as a child, we had a, an antenna that would rotate to pick up better, you know, each station needed the antenna to rotate to get the best image. So you would be watching your TV set, rotating the image and seeing it come into focus in a way. And sometimes when the major, this is something else people don't now think of, it wasn't 24 hour a day television. It was, you know, at 11 o'clock or 11.30, television was finished until the morning. You didn't go all night. And um, after all the television stations had shut down, you you could sometimes pick up some strange signals from, now in Toronto, it would be mostly from America, maybe Buffalo, uh, maybe from New York, maybe from Detroit. And those signals were very weak, but you could pick them up late at night and you would see things, but it would never be clear. Uh, and you wouldn't know what you were watching. And it was very mysterious and sometimes very disturbing and very intriguing. And so I used that experience 
with Videodrome. In other words, old technology, really, at the time. I even have scenes of a satellite dish, you know, and so on. Um, but, of course, when I was doing it, it was an antenna, not a satellite dish. There were no satellites. Um, and uh, it was just that idea of picking up a mysterious, forbidden signal that somehow you had access to by accident. And that's really what what, what had to do with uh, Videodrome. Oh, cool. I... I have never really thought about TV not going 24 hours. <laughs> it, it, it is while I loved as a kid, the UHF channels, which I don't even know if those exist anymore. There's some kind of thing where VHF and UHF still exist with over the air, whatever. But UHF was the um, place where you could find all kinds of stuff like Repo Man or this movie playing uncut on you know channel 38 or 56 at like three in the morning well that's the that's the weird al movie right uhf oh yeah uhf because that's in the film he is the proprietor of a uhf station Mm. and uhf stations were kind of uh, in a way like civic tv right with more constraints like they they wouldn't they would show uncut movies but they wouldn't necessarily show the kind of programming that seems that max wren plays like oriental dreams and and all that sort of stuff my SD card filled up, so I'm switching it out. Uh-oh. Even though it's recording on Zoom, you know, there's that terror of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I recorded a live Q&A with Wang Chung after a screening of To Live and Die in L.A., and somehow the recorder got uh, turned off. But no. I, I have it recorded on two camera audios, but, you know, like, it was one of those deals. But anyway. That happened to us on Nymphowars recently. Every oh, no. <laughs> Every audio thing got somehow scrambled. What did you do? Did you redo it, or we just had to redo it? Yeah, it was like we yeah, had one no, one side. <laughs> Tell folks where they can find that. Oh, Nympho Wars is um, everywhere you can find your podcasts. Um, it's mm-hmm. uh, this season. It's um, set in a radio station called KNFW, Long Haul Trucker Radio for the Flyover Country, and um, <laughs> we are two terrestrial radio hosts who talk about everything. And, um, yeah, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash nymphowars. That's N-Y-M-P-H-O wars XXX. That sounds, I like the XXX. That that (laughs) makes it, that makes it real. Would you like to hear Debbie's thoughts on being Nikki? Yes. I was interested in playing the character of Nikki because I felt that she was, you know, she was a babe and that she was sort of tough and... There was this huge mystery about her. And of course, I mean, what, what could be better? I mean, to, to be this sort of <laughs> enigma, enigmatic character. The thing that I found out later on, which completely blew me away, was that when we were working on the film and shooting and, and every day, you know, Nikki would sort of ask, what is she? Is she on TV? Is she a real flesh and blood person? Well, what is she? And then years later, of course, the name for this kind of character, uh, virtual, you know, came into play, came into being. But at that point, the idea of a virtual personality or character did not exist. So every day we were always asking that question. Is she real? Or is she on TV? Where is she? I mean, is she molecular? What is she? Is she electronic? What is, what's going on? Who is this girl, Nikki? 
<laughs> That's pretty good. Is she molecular? <laughs> <laughs> the scene where he puts the gun in the chest, the, the stomach vagina. Oh, yeah. He was, they built him into the couch. Yeah, so yeah, he had yeah. To stand up. Yeah, he stood up for like eight hours a day and they had to have uh, masseurs or masseuses, who knows, um, massaging his legs the entire time. Because oh, he my God. Move. Yeah, that's a fun day on set. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the film before we wrap up? I think we covered it pretty comprehensively. We've covered quite a bit. Um, let's see. What did I write down? Um... Oh, I can read you another bad review. Oh, please. I love bad reviews of uh, great movies. <laughs> this is by Tony Purnell. I found it online and they didn't know where the source paper was from. But Tony Purnell says, former pop queen. Debbie Harry, Jesus. former. I know, very rough. Shots fired. Exactly. So former pop queen Debbie Harry has made a horrifying movie and a sick bid to rebuild her career following the collapse of chart-busting group Blondie. Oh my god. <laughs> Vicious. That, Vicious. Also, it's so... The uh, focus on people like rebuilding or maintaining their career... In was mm -hmm. always a point that was mentioned in reviews, which I it's missing now. People don't really talk about their careers as much, but I just love that. <laughs> and they don't really, unless it's something like really, really stark, like Mickey Rourke and the Wrestler. Mm. Yeah. And sadly, we haven't really seen anything from Mickey Rourke since then, and that was an incredible performance. It was incredible, but when that when that was happening, and everyone was like, "Oh, Mickey Rourke is going to have a comeback," I was like. Is there like how many roles can Mickey Rourke <laughs> actually sure fit that? seamlessly into? Like he's worked yeah. perfectly for this, but very <laughs> singular. Yeah, that's that's very true. It's almost like uh can you put Mickey Mouse in like a crime <laughs> drama? Like it, it, this is the thing that he's made himself perfect for. Yeah. And it's it, um another guy I mean who, you know, co-starred with Mickey Rourke in Pope Greenwich Village that I was interested again with is eric roberts because eric roberts is so good in star 80 it's frightening um but he's also made like hundreds and hundreds of movies he even plays the voice of a, a talking cat in some movie he's in literally everything he's yeah. in literally everything and and bless him for that oh wait let's get back to tony purnell and his uh what and his gen gentle thoughts oh yeah film she appears Starkers as a sex-mad radio personality who enjoys making love in front of a sadistic TV movie where the violence and pornography are for real. <laughs> as she rolls about, her co-star James Wood, James Wood, stubs out a cigarette in her bare body and sticks a needle through her ear. Now, Mr. Purnell, inaccuracy uh, times two because it's James Woods, of course, and also he never stubs anything out on anyone. Then uh, he goes on to say, the film Videodrome, which opens in Britain in a fortnight, is supposed to show the near future where all barriers have been broken down by uncontrollable video and cable TV. One distributor has refused to handle the film because it's, quote, too violent. Palace Pictures plan to show it in 100 cinemas, however. Quote, we think it's very relevant and the sex and violence are not gratuitous, said a spokesperson. Debbie, 37, due in Britain next week, said, quote, I took part because I admire the director and I'm very interested in video and cable TV. <laughs> also, I love I'm the, very interested. I, I love the use of the word starkers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. There, there was some other headline that said, like, Debbie Harry in crazy nude uh, mazo 
it just like as if that's a normal uh abbreviation for masochistic mazo sex crazed film or something like that that's amazing um oh one thing that i wrote down was i have never realized before how um the similarities between this movie and possession oh i don't think i've seen possession oh you've never you've uh who the f- isabel um ajani and oh, okay. Sam Neill. I gotta see this then. Oh my god, it's okay. Incredible. This sounds great. Who did it? Um, it's the same guy so who did Stalker. I'm gonna have to uh, d- get dig that one out. Possession's great. It's 81. Oh, uh, Zulowski, Andrej Zulowski. Oh wow. Okay, so 81 is my sweet spot as well. Oh okay. You'll love Possession. I love that. It's got. There's this famous scene where she's um, she's going through the uh, Berlin subway with like a bag of groceries and um just starts going nuts and like smash it's like one long shot and she starts smashing eggs everywhere and foaming at the mouth and this re- apparently isabella johnny like didn't do another movie for a really long time after this because it was so upsetting for her to make but she uh, isabel johnny i mean this movie ha- has kind of a different plot it's about like the dissolution of a marriage and ha- and but there is like a body horror element to it but she's got like a double yeah. and uh, and it's not as much tapped into like media as much as like your own demons becoming like physical manifestation um well, well i like that and and that reminds me of course of the brood which Yes. By the way, it was an allegory for his divorce. It, it it's it's very similar to the brood too, but the, the I mean, I guess just the time it's clo- shot closer to Videodrome. What is Videodrome? Eighty four or something? Eighty three, eighty four. Yeah. Eighty three. Um, it looks more. It looks more similar, and she just has like a similar. Uh, downward spiral that uh, James Woods mm. has in this, and uh, yeah, the two the two films are just like very similar. Um, and yeah, I don't know that. Um, the thing that I've always taken away from it is uh, that "Long Live the New Flesh." Um, yeah, sentiment is is just like um, yeah take this take this crazy thing and turn it into like something that take control of it you know it's so Mm -hmm. beautiful and of course the film inspired me i mean i named my night after it and it's my instagram handle yeah because um and and also unlike a lot of films that take technology on like we talked about before this hasn't dated it's still very relevant you know just yeah the gear looks old but that enhances it now yeah and it makes it somehow easier to um project the current situation like watching it again i was just like oh my god this is so relevant like every like every scene i was just like able to plug in something that's happening now you know you'll like looker for sure because there's very similar uh notions and all that and of course michael Crichton, who wrote and directed the original west world and oh. and runaway which is kind of crummy but gene simmons plays the villain so i like oh, it cool. <laughs> uh, and, yeah and tom Selleck is in it so it's, it's a good time all right oh here's a little moment of where cronenberg got the idea for the some of the the snm stuff this scene a scene of ear piercing was really suggested to me when my wife asked me to help her put in her 
pierced earrings because she was having trouble doing it. And uh, I found that I almost, I, I, once I actually got the earring through her earlobe, I found myself almost fainting. It was quite a strange and strong response, which, I, which surprised me. And I thought, for a kind of mini sadomasochistic experience, uh, ear piercing wasn't, was kind of potent in its own small way. And that was the, that was the genesis of this particular scene. Have you read his novel, Cronenberg? No, I haven't. I started it. I haven't finished it yet. It's, uh, I, it's, I'll probably have to just start the whole thing over because it was a while ago that I started it. But, um, it is very, very strange. And it's about a husband and wife, um, who are both artists and one's a writer and one's a, a photographer, I think. And um, the, like, sexual awakenings they have, like, separately from each other. Um, mm. And uh, it's, it's it, I was just like, what the fuck is this dude's marriage like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, you know, cause there's so many um, comments I've seen where, like, Scorsese was, like, lightly frightened to meet him. And... Cronenberg said, like, you're the guy that made Taxi Driver and you were afraid to meet me. Uh, and everyone describes him. They're like, James Woods is like, he's this nice, genteel family man. Uh, he, he said something like, he's not exactly like a country doctor, but he's not that far away from it. Yeah. And he's very calm. And um, yeah, he seems just like a professor. I saw him in person once at the Venice Whole Foods and I rounded the corner to get salad dressing. And I they're very large aisles there, but there was this cluster of people sort of blocking the way. And what I gleaned was that it was two uh, folks from another country talking to this man with white hair. And then I sensed, oh, okay, they've recognized this guy. Who is it? And I heard the voice slightly and I was like, oh my God, it's David Cronenberg. Oh my God. This is great. But I could tell that they had sort of overstayed their welcome. He was sure. very nice to them, but they, it, they kept going. <laughs> and I thought, today's not the day to go up and say you know and then i'm standing in line absent-mindedly staring just looking around and our eyes lock and i can see on his face he knows that i know who he is yeah and and i just kind of went and i looked away a, a glare you know he was just he looked right through me and i was like that's awesome that's like a, a almost a perfect day totally totally <laughs> he almost scannered you if you hadn't looked yeah, he away he really did <laughs> and if the howard shore score from this film was playing underneath it it would be perfect because it just would have been a tight close-up i what, guess uh, what is the um i always forget that what the like medication that they need in scanners is called uh, let's look that up. It's because, called like, yeah, there's e like Ethereum or something like that. It's it not is. Ethereum. No, it's Ethereum. It is. It's Ethereum. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think it is. Because I know Ethereum is the blockchain thing, and I might be confusing it, but... I wonder if they named it after that. There's always uh, multiple meanings to the stuff in his movies. I have to rewatch his early stuff. Um, Rabid. And, Rabid um, is fun. It's really good. And I've only seen it on a shitty VHS uh, the old Warner Brothers VHS. At least the old MCA video cassette of Videodrome looked pretty good, but the Criterion is just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen... I know we were talking a while ago about uh, the like the original Crimes of the Future and the other one. I downloaded them a long ago, and I just haven't gotten to watching them. But Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he made a short version of mm -hmm. Crimes of the Future at some point. Yeah, 
I know we should uh, revisit that at some point. And yeah. I, I know I haven't seen the new one. So, uh, well, we, we should do another Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. A twofer. We can do original and new Crimes of the Future. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I've had the best time uh, chatting with you about Videodrome, Macy. I, before we go, though, is there anything else that we didn't uh, cover that you'd like to no, mention? I just, just I, lo- I love this. I love this flick. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good flick. I'm telling you, it's a good flick. It's a good flick. <laughs> I'd like to hear a guy who talks like that recommend the movie. You know, it's like that Cronenberg guy. He's really, uh, he's what he, like body horror and like, <laughs> but he really, he threads in like things about society and like uh, what and we Debbie accept, Harry. what we don't accept. <laughs> yeah, he's got the, 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 the Debbie Harry. She's stalkers. And then you got James Wood. He's great. I love James Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Treat yourself right and head on over to patreon.com slash craigandfriends. Look at the reward tiers, see which one jumps out at you that you desire the most, and then just go for it. Grab life by the suspenders and pull at patreon.com slash craigandfriends.